Welcome to the Fireside Giants podcast by Empire Sports Media. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Fireside Giants. I'm your host, Anthony Rivardo, joined by my co-host, Alex Wilson, and the New York Giants are terrible. They're 2-8. and eight. They got blown out yesterday on the road in Dallas. Now, listen, we knew that this was going to be a bad game for the Giants. We really didn't go in with any high expectations whatsoever. Dallas is a good football team. Last time we played them, we lost 40-0. to zero. This time around, 49-17, to 17, so not much better, but at least we scored some points. We went in there with Tommy DeVito as our third string quarterback starting making his first start of his career I gotta say I respect the way Tommy DeVito played I didn't think he was that bad I thought that he played a decent game but the Giants defense looks like crap the offense wasn't very good injuries are a clear problem for this team that they're not able to overcome and now you've got a whole lot of turmoil and drama going on on the Giants sidelines which I think is a really underrated talking point not enough fans are talking about What's going on on these sidelines? What's going on in this locker room? And does Brian Dable still have a grip over what's going on in this locker room? I think that's a major point of discussion and something to take away from this game yesterday is that the Giants, I've been saying it, they're spiraling out of control, but I think it's becoming more and more apparent by seeing Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard fighting on the sidelines with the wide receiver coach. Then you got Saquon Barkley getting into an animated conversation and kind of arguing back and forth a little bit with Brian Dable. You had Brian Dable cursing out Evan Neal last week like, it's ugly on that giant sideline. We're all frustrated. The Giants are too. And they're really, really losing sight of themselves and losing control here as the season continues to drag on. I really don't know if I could take another eight weeks of this crap. This is going to be a really brutal uh, stretch of this regular season finishing out here. But if there is one positive to take away from this, one solid takeaway here, I think most Giants fans are focusing in on is the fact that the New York Giants now currently hold the second overall pick in the upcoming 2024 NFL draft of course that could change between now and the end of the regular season but after yesterday's blowout embarrassing loss the Giants sit second place only the Carolina Panthers owned by the Chicago Bears in front of them so that's your one major positive takeaway but right now the New York Giants are a mess and we're going to go ahead and dive into that in today's episode kind of talk about what changes need to be made what we're seeing from these games and really just reacting to again that slaughterhouse of a game that was Giants versus Cowboys yesterday afternoon but before we dive into all that make sure to leave a like if you do enjoy this episode subscribe to the channel if you are new ring the bell so you don't miss an episode and comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section if you're listening on Apple or Spotify please make sure to leave us a five-star review and go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants without further ado Alex how are you doing today my friend and how are you feeling after that blowout loss yesterday afternoon well, I can sit here and tell you that I'm doing well, my friends, but I think that you probably know what's coming. It's going to be a rant of jumbled words and confusion and frustration because right now my brain just feels like it's been tortured. Having to sit down every Sunday, I don't look forward to Sundays anymore. I don't know about you guys, but Sundays, once a very fun weekend day and a, a time to watch some competitive football and enjoy has become a day where I expect to be depressed. I expect to start out my week waking up on Monday morning feeling like absolute shit because this team is a joke, a joke. I mean, guys, I, we've seen bad football. And look, Anthony and I were not around for the 70s where people are in my DMs or in my messages saying that the 70s were really bad. I don't know anything about that, okay? All I've seen is what we've seen the last couple of years. We've seen uncompetitive teams, guys. We've seen really bad Giants teams. We've seen teams that don't even look like they should be on the field. This team... 
what we saw yesterday, I mean, look, it's Tommy DeVito. We all knew the Giants were going to get absolutely scraped yesterday. We knew that we were going into Dallas. We were going to be placing off a team that has routinely kicked the living shit out of us for every single year the last couple seasons. And we knew we were going to get dog walked. It wasn't a matter of losing. It was a matter of being embarrassed. Okay, It was a matter of not showing effort. It was a matter of not putting anything on the field that you could at least even have a little bit of pride for. And the truth is, is that I do think that Brian Dable is starting to lose this locker room. I do think that. Animated conversations with Saquon Barkley. Darius Slayton clearly very, very frustrated. And the team just just whittling away. Their mental like strength and, and their mental fortitude right now is on the line. It is, it is there. And it is week 11 next week. We have seven, eight more weeks of this, guys. Eight more weeks of this. Bye week's going to be the best thing we have. All of them should be going to see freaking therapists in the bye week because that is ultimately what may get us through the rest of the season without a full organizational collapse. I, I don't know how these players are going to get through this. They just want to win. They just want to be competitive. And instead, they're just completely embarrassed. We can, and this isn't just, oh, every other week, you know, every other week we have a competitive game. Like we're competitive for a couple games. And then we're, we're every week getting embarrassed right now. Like this game yesterday was equivalent to being embarrassed 40 to zero. You know what I mean? What was it? 49 to 17. One of our touchdowns was a garbage time touchdown to Vito to Sterling Shepard. I mean, for God's sake, like I'm not even counting that as a freaking uh, score in the game. It was just like Dallas is like, we're, we're not even playing. Like they had their like fourth strings and they had the backups and the freaking kicker playing corner at this point. You might as well just do that. It's like watching this team has led to emotional, physical pain, like physical pain. Like, you know, uh, I just, I, I can't even get through it. I ended up playing Call of Duty for the last fourth quarter because I couldn't even watch the rest of this game. I was so, fr- you know, I'll sit there and I clip, I clip these moments, you know, make sure I'm you know, proactive with that so you guys can see all the replays and stuff on social media. And I just couldn't get myself to do it. Like they they are so bad that they made me don't want do, not want to do my job. It's It's like, it's nothing like I've ever seen. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless watching this team, absolutely speechless. And I want to get to one point here, and there's a big narrative going around that the Giants should be moving on from Joe Shane, Brian Dable. I am not on that wagon. I'm not on that train. And I'll tell you why. Joe Shane has managed to get us out from a one of the worst salary cap situations that we've ever seen. Like, the Giants had no money. They were tied up in long-term deals across the board. They had nothing absolutely nothing and their drafting was so freaking bad that the that the contracts they had signed it forced them into a corner they couldn't do anything the giants have managed to get rid of a lot of those big contracts right you're looking at leonard williams money is gone adore jackson money is gone now the big daniel jones contracts the one stain on this entire situation you could move on after next year and it's only going to be at about 11 million dollar cap hit uh and dead money for the next two seasons after that you could spread it out over the course of two seasons. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, you can move on. And look, the Giants had to do it. Like they had to sign uh, DJ to extension. You know, we making the playoffs. There was optimism. If we didn't sign him, what, what, and we went with, imagine we went with Tyrod Taylor after winning a, a, a playoff game. I think a lot of people have been pretty damn pissed off um, about that. Like we had no choice. But thankfully, Joe Shane, having, having the foresight that this could go wrong, built this out into the contract so we could draft the rookie, you know, keep DJ, let them compete. Maybe you trade DJ to someone and they can, you know, take the out and the Giants take on some of the money. You know, I don't know. Theoretically, maybe it could happen. So right now, the cap space is as healthiest as we've ever been. We have Dexter Lawrence locked in on a long-term deal. Andrew Thomas locked in on a long-term deal. And the drafting has been much better, right? I think Deontay Banks is going to be a good player. Um, we know uh, Micah McFadden has been very solid. Kayvon Thibodeau is solid. Um, JMS is going to be very solid center for a long time. Like we've made some good progress in the drafting departments. And I do feel as though 
Um, these these rookies and youngsters will play better as the team gets better. Right now, I mean, they're young guys playing on a team that's getting embarrassed every week. Like they're gonna they're not gonna play well. You know what I mean? Their their confidence is shot. They're done. Like they're mental. Yeah, you see Deontay Banks sitting there on the bench yesterday, dude. Oh my god, he looked like he was like I don't even want to be here right now. Like this is this is not what I'm used to. I'm not used to losing like this. You know, I'm not used to getting blown out in Dallas and 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 the other teams laughing on the sidelines while we're sitting here 49 to 17 and we got to walk off this field right now and shake their hands. Like you got to have some pride. Now, when it comes to saving Brian Dable's job, the Giants can't continue going through this phase of two years and out, two years and out, two years and out. They have to eventually stick to something. Brian Dable, I don't think, is a bad coach. I think he makes some weird decisions sometimes, but he's not playing quarterback. I mean, you have Tommy DeVito playing quarterback. Andrew Thomas just came back. You know what I mean? Evan Neal has been bad. Um, the quarterbacks have been just consistently hurt, and it's, it's tough, man. Like, he's been put in a spot to fail, and this season alone has been really difficult to counter that. So I'm okay giving them another year. And the thing is, if they draft a quarterback, they're going to have probably another year or two, especially if that quarterback shows some promise. You don't want to draft the quarterback and then turn over their head coach one year after that. So that's going to be the thing. Is is John Mara going to let the Giants? Is he going to is he going to let Joe Shane go and get a new quarterback? Because I think that's a narrative that we haven't really spoken about just yet. Is Joe is is John Mara good? I mean, I'll ask you this, um, Anthony. Do you think that? John Mara is going to allow Joe Shane to replace Daniel Jones because we know that Mara loves Jones. We know they think uh, that he thinks the Giants have failed him in his development. We know they just gave him a big contract. Do you think that there is a world where Mara's like, we're not moving on from Jones, we're sticking to him, we're being loyal, or do you think he's going to let Joe Shane actually run this team, actually make the decisions necessary um, to to win football games? Because right now, if I'm John Mara. I'm like, do whatever it takes, man. I can't, I can't shake uh, Jerry Jones' hand again after a freaking blowout loss. I can't do it. You know what I mean? I can't. I mean, John Mayer has to walk up to Jerry freaking Jones after every single one of these games and shake his hand. I mean, how is he even? I don't even know how he's still standing. I would be fuming. I'd be like, yo, whatever you have to do to make this team win, you got to do. If it means getting a quarterback, if it means trading someone, I don't give a shit. You got to do whatever it takes. I mean, that's the mentality he's got to have, right? I mean, unless you think otherwise, and, and maybe Dale Jones is still uh, – he's still committed to him, but I just can't see how he would be. Uh, well, I'll ask you this really quickly. You can answer back. Is there any evidence out there that John Mara prevents general managers from making the decisions that they want to make? Is there ever Has there ever been any concrete evidence that suggests that John Mara puts his thumb on the scale or gets super involved with this kind of stuff? I mean – I don't know for sure, but I, we've seen a lot of reports that indicate that he certainly has a say, and he's definitely speaking in the ear I, of Joe Shane. Saquon Barkley is a perfect like example. It's just – I don't think so, though. I don't think he is a perfect example. I think Dave Gettleman just fell in love with Saquon Barkley and drafted him irresponsibly and then paid him irresponsibly. Like, I just think that that was Dave Gettleman, you know? I I think that it's such an unfair narrative to, like – listen, John Mayer's not done a great job with this team for the last decade. Obviously, this team has been terrible – but I don't think that's because he's getting super involved in forcing general managers to draft or sign certain players. Dave Gettleman was a bad general manager, made some bad decisions, drafted some bad players. Like that was Dave Gettleman. John Mara let Dave Gettleman hire and fire all of those coaches. Dave Gettleman was the one who hired Pat Shermer and fired Pat Shermer. Dave Gettleman was the one who hired Joe Judge. Like this is not John Mara 
forcing any of these GMs to do anything that they don't want to do, in my opinion. I don't think we've ever seen evidence that strongly suggests that he does that. So no, I don't think that he's going to say, Joe Shane, you have to keep Daniel Jones. Why the hell would he? This is Joe Shane's team. Joe Shane's made moves that John Mayer probably didn't like. I mean, can we like elephant in the room, John Mara said that he was like heartbroken when Dave Gettleman traded away Odell Beckham Jr. He that he said that was the one time where he almost stepped in and stopped his GM from doing something, but he didn't because he lets his GMs do their job. So I don't really like that narrative that John Mara gets super involved and prevents the general managers from doing what they want to do. No, Daniel Jones is not going to remain the quarterback just because John Mara likes him off the field. That is like, it's a dumb, silly narrative in my opinion. If, jo- if Joe Shane wants to move on from Daniel Jones, I 100% percent think that he will move on from Daniel Jones. John Mara doesn't care. I mean, listen, we criticize John Mara because he hasn't done a good job with his team, but all of these coaching firings, he still has to pay these coaches. This man does not spare any expense to see his Giants team succeed. Like that is the truth of it. He has been paying head coaches three at a time at, at some points. He is paying Joe Judge, um, Brian Dable, and uh, Pat Shermer all at the same time because weren't those five-year deals that those head coaches signed? So he's got three head coaches getting paid out of his pocket right now. This guy does not prevent general managers from making the moves that they want to make. And I don't like that narrative. I don't think it's fair to John Mara. Has he been great? No. Is he? Is there plenty of criticism to throw his way? Absolutely. But he's not stopping Joe Shane from going and doing what he wants what he wants to do. Joe Shane has had complete autonomy in his position the same way that Jerry Reese did and the same way that unfortunately Dave Gettleman did. So Joe Shane is going to be able to do whatever he wants in this offseason. If he wants to draft a quarterback, he's going to go draft a quarterback. I don't think that the Saquon Barkley thing, I don't think his situation is a good example either. The Giants, yeah, Saquon Barkley is the face of that team. He's also, we're talking about this locker room. Who do you think is keeping the locker room on Brian Dable's side? Like, Saquon Barkley, yeah, got into an animated conversation with Brian Dable yesterday, but he's the leader in the clubhouse. He's the one who's keeping everybody on the side of the head coach. Like that's who everybody looks to. So if you want to say that Saquon Barkley doesn't have a place on this team, well, this team would probably be burning down the stadium and overtaking ownership and management, if not for Saquon Barkley keeping level heads in that locker room. Like seriously. And you guys know I'm very critical of Saquon Barkley. I'm not the biggest Saquon Barkley fan because I don't think that he should be on this team um, getting paid at the level that he is, whatever, you know, all that stuff. But Saquon Barkley definitely keeps that locker room together. He is an absolute leader in that locker room and he's a good guy on the field, off the field. He's an excellent person and an excellent player. I I don't think that it's fair to criticize John Mara uh, in that way, Alex, personally. I just think that, you know, he's spared no expense. He's been paying three head coaches at a time. I don't think that he's going to say, well, we paid Daniel Jones all this money, so we have to stick with it and not pay another player. No, he's going to just pay the dead cap. He's going to give Daniel Jones the money that he signed on for, and he's just going to shorten Joe Shane's leash probably. I I just I don't think that he's going to get in the way of Joe Shane doing what he wants to do in order to build this team in the future. So I'll, I'll throw a couple of things into it. I, I don't think that he's going to stop Joe Shane from doing what needs to be done. And that was kind of what I was trying to say is like that's if he does, we have a big problem. Um, there's a couple of things that I will say in the sense that, I mean, look, he's the one who hired Dave Gettleman, right? Like we know that he's obviously like they could have brought in a third party to help go through the process. And said they, they brought in a general manager who was one of those disliked among players. Um, that was always bound to hurt us in the end. And it did. Uh, but I, I also say that the Giants have a really have had, and we've this is this is factual stuff, 
a really strong base of nepotism within the Giants organization, which is not a bad thing because look, it's like their team; they own it. Um, of course, they're going to have people from their team, from their pe- you know, from their family tree in and around this organization in prominent jobs, and they do. Um, that was a big problem, and like Joe Shane moved some of them. Joe Shane changed some of their jobs, so it's like you know. I do think that you do have a point in the sense that I do think that he gave Joe Shane like autonomy to make the moves he needs to make. Um, in the past, maybe we saw a little bit more nepotism, a little bit more of an influence from the family. Uh, but I think now Joe Shane has that free reign. He has that ability to say, look, I just don't think Daniel Jones is the guy. Like maybe, and like you said, Saquon Barkley, he's the glue holding this team together right now. Without him, I, like you said, I don't think this team survives. Like I, I honestly don't know. We may see like the first team ever in history literally like refuse to show up to play. Because, like, that's really what this is getting to right now. Like, these guys don't want to play. Um, there are very few guys out there who look like they are actually playing with something to lose, that they're playing with uh, confidence, playing with, like, motivation. And they're, they're fueling it themselves now. You know what I mean? Like, that's the unfortunate truth is, like, these guys have been resorting to, like, they got to play for themselves. They got to find personal reasons to get up every day and get to work and, and, and come back. And, you know, whether it be money, whether it be family, whether it be legacy – it's not about winning anymore. Like the Giants are not, they're not concerned about winning. These guys aren't showing up to win. These guys are showing up to save their jobs. These guys are showing up to show that they can be contributors on a team. Um, and, and I think that, you know, Greg Olson said it best last night on the on the Fox kind of broadcasting. He said that this season, and it's hard for Giants fans to to acknowledge this, but it, I mean, maybe not anymore, but this season about is about seeing what the youngsters have for the future. This season is now about developing our talent for the future. You know, guys like Deontay Banks, Trey Hawkins, Cordell Flotts, um, you know, uh, John Michael Schmitz and Marcus McKethan or Evan Neal um, or, you know, all these guys, Jason Pinnock. Like, it's about seeing what we have for the future because these older guys, these players like Xavier McKinney, for example – I don't think I just I don't think that they're going to keep him anymore. Like this team is being blown out, and he's one of the only guys coming out and verbally throwing things into the fire. And it, and look, I get he's frustrated, and I and I sympathize with that. Um, but I don't think the Giants like that type of stuff. You know, he's starting because he's the best player to start at any given moment at free safety. They don't have many other op- op- uh, any many other options or alternatives. But I'm leaning towards I think McKinney may be let go uh, because of this, and and ultimately. You know, this team needs a lot. This team needs a lot. And the depth is not good. Um, you know, it's, it's just a tough watch every single week. And ultimately, you have to ask yourself as a Giants fan, like, suffering right now, you know, I'm okay with it if it's, it returns into 2024 where you have some hope. But, man, like, it's still not a guarantee that we're going to find the right guy and develop them and, and, and make sure that they're, you know, contributors at the NFL level and, and can really turn this thing around. And, you know, I think let's talk about let's talk about the influence of a rookie quarterback, though, for a second, because I think it's fair to mention C.J. Stroud and what he's done for Houston. Their roster is not that good. Like, Houston's roster is they're, – they're good, but they're not very good. They're, they're a bottom-barrel team without a great quarterback, right? C.J. Stroud, what he's done, walking in there and showing what – a good quarterback, if not great quarterback, he's in the MVP conversation right now, can do to a whole team, rally a whole group. He's doing it with not that many great weapons, not that great of an offensive line, not a great running game, not a great defense. You know what I mean? Like he's he's rallying everybody. He's making everybody better. You know, Anthony, I think, you know, you're already looking at the receiver, rather at the quarterbacks in this next draft. If you could find the right guy that can rally the troops and make everybody better, 
I mean, that's the type of thing that the Giants need. They need a quarterback who's going to elevate everybody. Um, I know you're a big Drake May fan. Do you think that that's that's the type of guy that can do that for a team, that can elevate a team? And, you know, not just physically, but I'd I'd like to have a a quarterback that has some zest, man, like has some personality, like has some fire, some anger, like he wants it. And, you know, Dale Jones, we've seen it sporadically, you know, in moments, but he's pretty level-headed. Like he's pretty quiet, dude. You know, he doesn't really show that much emotion all the time. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes like, obviously, like OBJ is, like, the extreme example of emotion. But I think there's a fine balance between, like, getting hyped and, like, elevating everybody. I don't know about Drake May's personality, but you've watched a lot more than I have. Do you think that he's that type of guy? Yeah, I liken Drake May to Josh Allen. And we all know Josh Allen's a pretty passionate guy who goes balls to the wall, puts his heart out on the field every single time he plays. And I see that same trait from Drake May. When I compare Drake May to Josh Allen, uh, it's not necessarily just about their playing style, which I do think is very similar. I think that their physicality is similar, the way that they're built and the way that they have a strong arm, all that stuff. Like They're very similar players, but also they're similar in the sense that um, there's plays on Drake May's film where you know he's got to make kind of like a tough run, like a dive into the end zone type of situation. And he puts his body on the line and he dives to the end zone. He's not the kind of guy that kind of like runs out of bounds at the five yard line. If he's within scoring distance, he's going to try and hurdle somebody, you know, dive for it. He had a hurdle in the most recent game against Duke. That was pretty sick. Um, He has a few of those. He's had hurdles where he jumps up there, gets his legs taken out of him, does a flip, pops right back up and pounds his chest. I like that from Drake May. He is one of those passionate guys. So if you're asking me particularly what's his passion level, his passion level is high. Drake May does play with his heart on his chest, um, and he does seem to be a pretty good leader in that UNC offense. And I know that there's that video of him cooking burgers that's gone all around. It's a TikTok video. I like that. I think that's funny. It's a funny video. He's a 21-year-old kid, so he's cooking burgers in a funny manner with his friends and a freaking on a grill. Like I I like stuff like that. I agree with you. I want a quarterback with some personality. not saying Daniel Jones has zero personality. I like what he's done on the Up and Adams show this season with Kay Adams. I thought that he really showed kind of more of who he is outside of football on that show. And he's had some great moments like that. Um, But I do agree with you that, you know, there is something exciting for fans when your quarterback is really present and really passionate and puts his heart on his sleeve um, and plays with that. Like when CJ Stroud, who you just mentioned yesterday at the end of that game, gets the uh, late game touchdown. um, And then at the end of the game, you see they finally get the win. He runs onto the field with his helmet off and he's screaming and he's high-fiving everybody. And the whole team is just, you know, gallonizing around CJ Stroud and, To tie that into what you were saying about C.J. Stroud, it's something that I have been saying for weeks now, Alex. The Giants need a quarterback who elevates the play of those around them, who can do less or who can do more with less, right? Because that's the argument that I was making, Daniel Jones versus Tyrod Taylor. Daniel Jones does more with more when the offensive line is great, when the wide receivers are playing good, when the run game is, is efficient. Daniel Jones plays some really good football. But when the offensive line breaks down, the playmakers are hurt and all that stuff, That's where Tyrod Taylor does better because he's able to kind of mitigate that pressure and just be that kind of field operator and kind of get through all that pressure from the offensive line. So I like a quarterback who can do more with less. I like Daniel Jones, still think that he has good moments and still has potential to be a successful quarterback down the road. But I think he needs a change of scenery because the Giants need somebody who can do more with less, who elevates the play of those around them. The hope is not that you draft a quarterback and he walks into a perfect situation with a great offensive line and a great receiver. 
The hope is that you draft the quarterback and you build around that quarterback and you get him the pieces that he needs and he elevates those pieces that you bring in for him. He makes them all play better because yes, there are absolutely absolutely quarterbacks who make bad offensive lines look at least average. Like there are quarterbacks who elevate the play of the offensive line because they stand in the pocket and they make plays under pressure. So the effect of the offensive line being so bad isn't as serious. So that is what I think the Giants need to do is look in this upcoming draft for a young quarterback who has that ability to elevate those around him, throw receivers open. I think that's a big part of it. That helps make other players better because there are often times that Giants receivers are running downfield and they have less than a yard of separation. And maybe Daniel Jones, even Tyrod Taylor, Tommy DeVito, they don't throw it. But there are quarterbacks around the NFL who see any little bit of separation or don't even see separation at all. They throw it and they throw the receiver open and create big plays. The Giants don't have a quarterback doing that right now. Of course, with Tommy DeVito, this third string quarterback, they don't have somebody throwing receivers open and making the offensive line look better than it is. But I don't believe that they had that either when Daniel Jones was in the lineup. Daniel Jones oftentimes waited for receivers to break wide open rather than throwing to an open space and letting them run into it. Um, And I think that if they do go into this draft and they look at some of these top quarterbacks, whether you're talking about Drake May, who we mentioned, whether you're looking at Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, there's a few prospects out there that, you know, they're fun to study and they're really talented players. And they do have that element to their game where they elevate the play of those around them. So um, when you're asking me about that, Alex, yeah, I think it's really important for the Giants to try and find that next guy and make sure that that next guy is passionate, as you mentioned. But really the main thing would be he needs to be one of those players that's so good. Everybody else around him plays better. And he has to lead people to do that, you know, because you could be one of the best players in the NFL, but everybody around you in your locker room has to has to get behind you, really support you and love you. And I think that's an important factor here that C.J. Stroud, we're seeing, he really has that. He has that love from all of his teammates. And we see that from all of the top quarterbacks in the NFL for what it's worth. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, um, all of these guys have great relationships with their receivers, their offensive line. And I'm not saying that there's a situation where the Giants don't have that. I know that Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton are friends for life. Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley are friends for life. But really what I'm saying is, When the Giants look for this next quarterback, he's got to be a guy that gets along well in the locker room, leads the locker room, and elevates the play of those around him on the football field. I think that is of the utmost importance. You know, it's crazy because, you know, that second half against Arizona weeks ago, that moment, that that half that we saw from Daniel Jones in the offense – Think about what that did for the defense, too. The defense couldn't couldn't stop anything. You know what I mean? They were blocking fat people faster on Twitter than they were um, you know, in that game. So I'll tell you what. Th- this is a situation where you look at these small samples, and that second half of Arizona was a mirage, right? That was like, that was like striking gold, and then you just can't find it again. Um, I think that you, know, you see what a player can do. And Daniel Jones stepped up and had a ridiculously great half. And look at what the team did around him. You know what I mean? The defense stepped up. The receivers got open. The offensive line started playing better. And it was like, whoa. Like, that's that's what a player elevating their game does for an entire team. Now, what if you can get a quarterback that can do that every single week? You know, what if you can get a quarterback that it's it's fourth down? I don't know if you guys saw, and Anthony, I know you saw, that Kyler Murray third and 10 conversion where he was running around in the backfield. And he's coming off an ACL tear, guys, running around the, in the backfield going left, going right, going backward. And he somehow escapes all of it and turns it into a first down. Arizona goes on to win this game. Those little moments 
elevate an entire team. Those little uh, those little moments elevate a fan base. You know what I mean? The fans are ter- have turned against the Giants. We we but we're not. This is not, nothing unusual to us. We turn against them almost every year these days. You know, and for good reason. They're a bad football team. And you know, for what it's worth, you look at those little moments and you say to yourself, "Wow, like that was special. That won us. A, that won us a football game." The players rally around that. Um, unfortunately, we just don't see that very often from whether it's Daniel Jones, whether it's this or that. And there's a lot of other – it's not just Daniel Jones's fault. You know, the offensive line is terrible. The entire team is bad. So, you know, I'm not putting the blame on one person. It's a very much a widespread blame. Uh, but you can see what I'm trying to say in that one player can turn the course of a game, and it's usually going to be the quarterback. It's the most important position in football. And as you said, and I think that's really the, the best diagnosis of the situation, is the Giants need a player – who's going to do more with less because they're going to walk into a situation next year that's not going to be very good, right? The offensive line is still going to be bad. It's still going to be slightly below average, most likely. They still don't have a top receiver. Their defense is still like in flux. Their pass rush is lackluster at times. You know, if Kayvon Thibodeau isn't having a parabolic game, he is like the team doesn't do well. Like if Dexter Lawrence isn't destroying people, the team doesn't do very well in the pass rush departments. Um, so this this quarterback is going to walk into a situation where he doesn't have a top offensive line. He doesn't have a top receiver core. We don't even know if Darren Waller is going to be here next year. And we don't know about the defense because we may lose some pieces there too. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, who is the player that's going to walk in immediately and be able to develop and grow with these negative variables working against them? That's what's going to happen. You, you know, some of these quarterbacks people love, like you know, McDan, uh, like uh, Jaden McDan, Jaden Daniels, McDaniel, I don't one of those two. Bo Nix, that like, people love all these guys, but are they going to be able to step in and help breed some optimism within this fan base? Are they, are they going to step in and essentially save Brian Dable and Joe Shane's jobs? Right, because that's what needs to happen. Like these guys, these quarterbacks, whoever they draft, needs to step in and make such an impact that it's going to save their jobs. Um, which is why I am firmly in the belief that they're going to be drafting a quarterback because if they don't and they commit to Daniel Jones coming off an ACL tear, this team is going to be bad again next season. You know what I mean? Daniel Jones couldn't do it, you know, this year with with a healthy, you know, I don't know how he's going to do it coming off an ACL tear personally. Um especially with the team still kind of bad. Like I mean very bad. I don't I don't we don't have a wide receiver unless you draft Marvin Harrison Jr., but like can Daniel Jones maximize a top receiver? We haven't seen him do that for anybody yet. Um, so I'm still very much like, concerned about that. A lot of his production comes on the ground, you know, running the football. Is he going to be able to do that same thing with the torn ACL coming out of torn ACL? Is he going to be committed to moving the chains with his legs? Um, I'm concerned about that. You know what I mean? I, I just don't know if drafting – and the Marvin Harrison Jr., I wish I wish to God we had the right quarterback because right now this would – I mean, he is a home run pick. You know, you're, you're talking about the next generational receiver here. Um, I, I just – I just don't think that we have the pieces in place to maximize a player of that talent, of that caliber. Uh, you know, what do you think about that? If you're not going to go quarterback, you know, is it even worth it? Is, like, I feel like going quarterback is the only decision. It, it really just saves Joe Shane and Brian Dable's jobs, and that's the God honest truth. They have to – they're thinking about themselves in this process too. You know, they're not just thinking about the team, and I, and I feel like that uh, – I don't know what you think about that, if they're, if they're also factoring in the fact that if they, if they go with a different player, they could get fired after next season. I mean, I've been saying that for a few weeks, Alex. You definitely know how I feel about that one. I've been saying that Brian Dable is having a terrible season. If he somehow survives this, which history would say that he doesn't, I think he does survive it, but the Giants have fired head coaches after two seasons three times in a row now. So history would say he doesn't survive this terrible year. I think he does. 
But after he survives this, it's going to be very crucial for him to have a good third season so he doesn't get fired. However, if he has a bad third season with a rookie quarterback who shows progress during that season, that's probably the only way he survives another bad year. So I think that he would want to go out there with a rookie and just make that the the sole purpose of that season is to develop that rookie, have him show progress throughout the year. Um, And honestly, I think that there's also an argument that even if next season isn't so great with the rookie, you could say to ownership, if you're Brian. Brian Dable or to Joe Shane, if you're Brian Dable, listen, I need more time to keep developing this kid. Like you, you guys want to mess up his development, get him a new head coach and a new coordinator and go through this whole thing that you went through with Daniel Jones. You just learned this lesson about ruining Daniel Jones by giving him too many head coaches, coordinators and different offensive line combinations through the first few years. I think that Brian Dable getting a quarterback that he can draft and um, start developing from day one is going to be really important for him to keep his job security. I think that is like a really underrated aspect of this conversation. But of course, as you mentioned, um, the Giants can go ahead and draft a top edge rusher with their top pick or a top receiver with their top pick. But it's really not going to fix anything until the Giants just reboot, reset, and rebuild this team. And I think that always starts with the quarterback position. You have to get that position down first. You get the quarterback, you figure out the rest. You get him, and you build around him. You don't build up this great team and then draft the quarterback. I think it's such backwards logic, and I don't understand why there's so many fans that think the Giants need to double down, take another top 10 offensive tackle, draft a second-round offensive guard, draft a third-round offensive guard. How many offensive of linemen can you keep drafting like you have to get the quarterback right and then build around him if you keep getting the quarterback wrong you keep getting a quarterback that's not going to make plays with a bad offensive line in front of him that's not going to play well under pressure you're never going to fix this team it all starts and it ends with the quarterback it is the most important position in sports um, when you're looking at all of these best teams around the league like we keep mentioning cj stroud is a perfect example That offensive line in Houston was not a good one. He stepped into a really ugly situation. He somehow developed an elite chemistry with Tank Dell, got Nico Collins playing well, has the offensive line looking really good, and they're not. So it's really important to get that quarterback in place. Everything else falls into place after that. So, I mean, I'll just keep advocating for it, man. I mean, we've got a lot of regular season left to play, but the Giants – They've got a legitimate shot at getting the first overall pick in the draft. Um, If not, top three picks seems like a damn lock for this Giants team. They can't seem to buy a win. So I think that they're going to be in prime position to land the quarterback. And if they do draft a quarterback, I just hope that it's one of those players who elevates those around him and can become a superstar, superstar potential, but at least steps in year one and just doesn't look lost and that they don't change the offensive coordinator on a midseason and they don't fire the head coach on him after a year. I'd like them to just get everything in place in one go and let it all build and grow together. Continuity is key. So draft a quarterback who elevates those around him, get him an offensive coordinator that can maximize his skill set and his potential and just let those two build and work together and grow and develop for years and years. That's how you find sustained success. I mean, what if, um, I don't know. I mean, you look around the league, there's so many young quarterbacks that, I, like, for example, we keep bringing up Josh Allen. He's a good example because after two seasons in the NFL, he was considered to be borderline a bust. He looked really bad his first two seasons. He had Brian Dable all the way through. 
Um, and Brian Dable eventually got him to kind of turn things around to become that superstar after two to three seasons. He threw out the old playbook, he reworked it, and he built it around Josh Allen's skill set, said this is what he's done well through these first two years. So in year three, we're going to maximize that. We're going to capitalize on this. And Brian Dable built this new offense for Josh Allen. And then Josh Allen unlocked that next level of his potential. The Giants need to have continuity at the offensive coordinator position in order to have something like that happen. So whoever this offensive coordinator is in the offseason because it probably won't be Mike Kafka but if they do draft a quarterback and bring in a new offensive coordinator I think those two need to be handcuffed to each other for at least three years I think Josh Allen and Brian Dable is a perfect example of why you need to build that continuity between a quarterback and his OC and I think that also not giving up on a quarterback not giving up on an offensive coordinator too soon that's also a lesson you can draw from the Josh Allen situation because man he was one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks in football's history in his first season in the NFL now he, we all refer to him as an MVP candidate year in and year out and an absolute superstar because of the work that he did in continuity with Brian Dable. So I think that's really important. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens throughout the rest of the season and into this offseason. But Alex, before we wrap, I do want to ask you one last thing. This is a topic that I wanted to get to in today's episode. Mike Kafka, who I just mentioned, I don't think he's going anywhere, um, or I do think he's going somewhere by the end of the offseason. I think that he's safe for the rest of the regular season. But that could very well change. And I want to get your take on, do you think that his absence on the sideline is part of the problem? The Giants, I don't know when the last time, if they ever have had an offensive coordinator in the box before, but Kafka's in the box. He's not on the sideline. He's calling the plays from above. Do you think that makes a difference? We see all this turmoil on the sideline. We see wide receiver coach Mike Groh getting into an argument with Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard. We see Saquon Barkley frustrated, all the receivers frustrated, and Brian Dable is the only one on that sideline that can really go over there and try and help these guys. Meanwhile, he's the head coach. He's got 10 other things to handle at once, but he's the one who's constantly trying to get behind these offensive players and try and guide them through the storm that they're in. And Mike Kafka is literally just sitting in the box doing nothing, twiddling his thumbs. What do you make of that? In my opinion, I think it's messed up. I think he needs to be on that sideline helping his unit. We just saw something very similar to this happen over in San Francisco. Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator, was in the box. Kyle Shanahan asked him to come down to the sideline to help lead the defense a little bit better. And they absolutely dominated the Jacksonville Jaguars yesterday. That defense was suffocating with Steve Wilkes on the sideline. The players praised him, said communication was as good as it always is. But it was nice to have him on the sideline, hear his voice, see him, celebrate with him. And it really did make a difference for them having Steve Wilkes on the sideline. I'm wondering what you think about that for Mike Kafka. Would it make a difference if he was on the sideline? Do you think he needs to get his ass out of that freaking box like I do and get on the sideline and start coaching his freaking players? Um, Because that's how I'm feeling about it. I'm frustrated by the fact that he's just sitting in the box, leaving Brian Dable out to dry with these offensive players who are clearly too frustrated to perform. Look, I mean, at this point, why not try it? <laughs> like, you couldn't get much worse if you tried. Like, the Giants really couldn't get much worse than this. Um, and anything to try and spark anything would be a, a, a step in the right direction for them. But there's two things. One of them I texted you yesterday. If if Mike Kafka goes onto the sideline, I'm worried that he's going to get killed. <laughs> like, I'm worried that he's going to get destroyed by the players who are going to bombard him with frustrations and anger and you know concern over what's going on and pull him away from his duties um but the fact of the matter is that these guys are not operating or are actually doing their jobs at a level that's even competent so you know any change would be nice you know celebrating getting the personality out of him maybe that would help 
you know, I guess I guess they mostly go into the box because they want that streamline of communication without any like exterior kind of influences or any exterior, um, you know, variables that could distract them or distract like a play call or whatever it might, it might be. Maybe it's quieter for them to think like maybe that that's probably what it is. But the truth is, this offense is the worst in football, man. We have a worst offense in the Jets, and like they literally are like dying for a quarterback. They're dying, um, and our offense is is that bad. And at this point, if I'm Mike Kafka, I'm probably like I want to stay up here not because I can communicate better, but because I don't want to face these players face to face. You know what I mean? I don't want to face them in game with Darius Slayton's pacing around the sideline. Saquon Barkley's an animated. He was pissed, man. You saw Saquon Barkley's face after and during the game. He was absolutely pissed. And he deserves to be. And kudos for Saquon even wanting to stay here. We talk about the Giants keeping players. Why do these players even want to be here? You know what I mean? Why does Saquon want to be? I, and I get he has like family around the area. But he is just miserable. He's miserable. You know, why, why do some of these guys want to play for this team? Like, that's what I'm asking myself now. We, we keep saying to ourselves, oh, the Giants will go out and get this. So the Giants should re-sign this guy or extend that guy. If I'm, a, if I'm another – if I'm a player, I'm like, why am I even staying on this – absolute garbage team when i could go and win compete elsewhere have better moments create a legacy instead i'm just a laughing stock with the rest of us you know what i mean um and for saquon's case i mean i know if it's family related like makes sense like you know stay with the giants uh maybe like they the giants committed to him through everything the injuries the, the everything like they stood by his side they never wavered and he's returning the favor now um but if there was if there was an option for him to get out and there was no you know Obviously, like no blood on the hands, I'd be like, go for it, man. Like, go win somewhere else because we're just wasting this dude's career. Like, absolutely wasting a really great player. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not like, I'm not sitting here asking us to pay him a significant amount because um, he's injury prone. And I'm also in the boat that I think Daniel Jones is injury prone too. That's a kind of a variable that hasn't really been talked about. Daniel Jones cannot be trusted to stay healthy. And it's not really his fault all the time. Said offensive line just can't block and he gets blindside hit neck injuries now he has a 20 cl like a lot of these issues weren't his fault but he is definitely injury prone at this point in time um can the giants commit to a player that is injury prone can joe shane and brian dable commit to a quarterback who is injury prone to save their jobs it's not happening it's not happening guys it's, it's not happening there is a 95% chance they draft a quarterback. Who that's going to be is going to be interesting. The Giants now have the number two overall pick in the draft. That is either Caleb Williams or it is Drake May. And it's one of those two guys, right? They're not trading back for Bo Nix. They're not trading back for Penix. They are drafting either Caleb May or Caleb Williams or Drake May, in my opinion. Um, now, the question is, who's going number one? Because the Bears are going to have that pick. Anthony, I know you're not you're not convinced the Bears are going to go after a quarterback. And if they don't, that's all better for us. That's so good for us. Because then we get our pick of the, of the crop. Um, but, you know, Caleb could go number one. Um, Drake May could go number one. Like, those two guys, it's like 1A, 1B right now. And May is putting on a show this season, right? He is putting on a show. And you, you're posting all the clips on, on social media, so you can check them out there. So it's like, you know, you look at these players and the people have concerns about Caleb Williams. People have concerns, fewer concerns seemingly about Drake may um, some like just basic fundamental stuff that will be tweaked at the next level. But you know, anyone, any one of those two guys could go, the giants are going to have a chance to get a top quarterback in this draft class. Um, I'm just curious to see who they think the right guy is like who that right personality, who that right talent will be. They're, they're, they're certainly going after all of them. They're certainly looking into each individual player and they're watching them multiple times. So it, it's going to be crazy. This next off season is going to change the course of this franchise. You know, a new quarterback changes the outlook, changes everything for an organization. Even if Daniel Jones is riding the bench next year and that quarterback is, and that rookie quarterback is playing, 
it changes the everything, the outlook, the optimism. It changes our perspective. And I think that we need this right now. Like the Giants, Giants fans, guys, like we need this change. We need fresh blood. We need a reason to be excited. We need a reason to buy back in because I'm like just angry every Sunday now. Like, and, and look, I, I try to keep my emotions out of it now because I expect the worst. But as a Giants fan, and I know you guys as diehard Giants fans, like we feel it anyway. It freaking blows even if we expect it. And it pisses me off anyway. So you know, at this point in time, you just got to hope that we have something to root for next year. And we're going to start dra- diving into the draft pretty soon already. So, you know, you better be sure we're going to have covered like 150 players by the time this <laughs> this draft comes around, which is unfortunate for us. But um, that's really the only way I think I can get through the next eight weeks of this season. Yep, I'm pretty much ready for the season to be over. We'll see what happens with that first overall pick. You think that it's 100% going to land on the laps of the Chicago Bears. I really don't think that's necessarily true. You take a look at the Carolina Panthers schedule. They have at least like five winnable games on that schedule. I know that they're really bad, but at some point I have a feeling that Bryce Young is going to turn it loose and he's going to have a decent game down the stretch. I think that there is a really good chance that the Giants end up with the first overall pick. I don't see this offense accumulating any wins for the rest of the year unless they make a drastic change like Brian Dable calling plays or Mike Kafka getting fired. Yeah, anything can happen, so we'll see. Maybe the Giants can win a couple games down the stretch. But really, I think there is a realistic chance that the Giants get the first overall pick. Um, and then we'll see what happens from there. The Giants haven't had the first pick since 1965. And this marks one of the worst times ever to be a Giants fan and one of the worst Giants teams in the 98-year history of the franchise. But hopefully... And going into the 99th offseason, we can have a good offseason and make sure that by year 100, we are a good football team again. That would be the hope. But until then, we're going to have to suffer through the final seven games of the season and just hope for the best in the offseason. And of course, we'll continue to update you on everything surrounding the New York Giants. And of course, feed you all of that draft and offseason content a little bit early this year right here on Fireside Giants. So make sure to leave a like if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode and comment your thoughts on the topics down below in the comment section. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And go ahead and follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. But without further ado, we'll catch you all on the next one. Have a good one. And let's go Giants.